now seated at your table. What's our response? Jesus, thank you. The only way we could be brought right and be able to sit at the table of the Heavenly Father is through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So yes, indeed, Jesus, thank you. Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to continue. We're getting close to the end of our study in this amazing book. Um, You will remember that the book of Ephesians, the theme of the book is about the fact that you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of his body. We have no other head that we follow, that we're, de- that we're dedicated to, that we're committed to. Our head is only Jesus Christ. And so, as we work our way through this book, we are reminding ourselves that there are some amazing truths, some truths about how wealthy we are. And again, it's not a physical wealth, it's not a material wealth, it's not a, a bank, check your bank account balance kind of wealth. It is a wealth that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. We stand before our God, holy and righteous, not of our own works, not with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. We have an inheritance that I like to say is out of this world. We're not going to get the inheritance in the here and now. We're going to get it when we get to glory and we see our Savior face to face. We also realize that because of this amazing, this amazing inheritance that we have, you and I should walk our walk, we should live our lives in a way that demonstrates this amazing inheritance, this amazing wealth that is ours. Paul challenged us, he said, walk the worthy walk to which you have been called. He wants us to walk our lives and live our lives in a way that shows others that we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. This morning, if you look on your note sheet and if you look on the screen, you'll see the title of the message. The title of the message is Prepping for the Battle in the Worthy Walk. All right? Um, we're changing gears a little bit. We've been talking about this worthy walk that Paul has called us to, that God expects us to live. So we're moving on from that challenge, and we're going to now have a, a look at what our mindset must be if we're going to actually walk this worthy walk. Because you know what? Once you are committed to walking the worthy walk that God has called us to, it's not going to be easy. Satan is going to be out to get you. He wants to to knock you down. He wants to drag you out of the battle. He wants to make you ineffective in the Christian life. And his attacks are often subtle. Yesterday in our NLT meeting, uh, Jim Vogel, who's now moving, he's not the executive director anymore, Brian is, um, but Jim is the associate director, and he's, he's actually moving more and more into the background of our association by design, by plan, that's his desire, but he reminded us yesterday as a leadership team, he says, guys, he said, you must protect the doctrinal integrity of our fellowship and of our churches. Because all of us that were sitting in that room were pastors. And he says, the doctrinal integrity of our churches is, it's, it's at stake. Satan wants to drag us away from our foundation of our mooring, of that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 
He wants to pull us aside. And, and you know what? Jim said, it's not by great leaps and strides that Satan is pulling us away from our doctrinal moorings. It's very subtle. It's very slow. It's almost as if we don't recognize where we've been and how we've been pulled away from that position. Some, some things and some people, some organizations and some, some institutions, let me put it that way, that we love and, and have trusted for so many years may not be exactly where they used to be. And it's a battle. We're in a battle, my friends. We're, this is not a, a make-believe. This is not a Marvel universe, okay? We are literally in a battle. Praise God, it's not a battle for our souls. That battle's already been won by Christ on the cross of Calvary. And it, there's no giving that back. You know, taking that away from us. That's a once for all, sealed, signed, delivered salvation. Our salvation is, and, and God uses the word eternal or everlasting for a reason. He wants us to understand that we have everlasting life. Nothing and no one can take it away from us. He also wants us to know, though, that we are in a da- daily battle. So the message this morning is prepping for the battle in the worthy walk because we are going to face a battle. If you're not facing it already, you will face it. It's, it's almost a promise. It's a, it's, a, it's a statement of fact. We will find ourselves battling different things along the way. There's a song that's been on the radio probably for about a year now. I really, really like it. Um, it's, it's a kind of a new group that sings. It's two guys, and if you know one of their names, you know both of their names, okay? It's Shane and Shane. That's the name of the group. Um, and, and here's the words to the song. Let me read them for you. Praise him, all you creatures, great and small. That's the wrong one. Let's see where that went. All right. There we go. There's a peace that outlasts darkness, hope that's in the blood. There's a future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won, so I can face tomorrow, for tomorrow's in your hands. All I need you will provide, just like you always have. I'm fighting a battle. Now, sometimes we don't like to be in a battle, right? But listen to this next line. That you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. I don't know what you're doing. Listen to this. But I know what you've done. We might not know everything that's going on in our lives and the struggles and the battles, but we know what he's already done. What he did on the cross. What he's done in every trial, every tribulation, every struggle that we face. He's delivered us. I don't know what you're doing but I know what you've done. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. There's mercy in the waiting, manna for today. And when it's gone, I know you're not. You are my hope and stay. When the sea is raging, your spirit is my help. He'll fix my eyes on Jesus Christ, and I'll say that it is well. I know that it is well. 
I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. I know how the story ends. Oh, man, we know how it ends. We will be with you again. You're my Savior, my defense. No more fear in life and death. I know how this story ends. The battle has already been won. But you and I must fight that battle. And we must prepare to be in the battle. And Paul tells us exactly how to do that here in the book of Ephesians. So the song is a very encouraging song. But why is it such a powerful song? Well, because the words of Scripture give us the explanation of why the battle has already been won. We've talked about in the past that when we make a decision to be walking worthy of the call that we have been called to, um, there's somebody who's not going to be happy about that, right? And that somebody or something is Satan or the devil. He's not going to be happy that you've decided with the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within you that you're going to walk worthy. He's going to pull out the stops and try to prevent you from walking that worthy walk. He's going to try to get you to do things that would contradict the worthy walk that would actually say, that person isn't walking worthy. Some of you are in the midst of facing some of those very attacks from the wicked one. Can I remind you of the words of the Apostle Peter? We, we did a, a preaching series on the book of First and Second Peter, but Peter wrote these words in chapter 5. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You see, my friends, the more you desire to walk worthy, the more Satan is going to try and defeat you and discourage you. Peter and Paul both have a very similar advice to those who are serious about walking the worthy walk. This morning we want to see what Paul has to say that will help us face those attacks of the wicked one. We're only going to look at verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. We're not going to try and look at the whole armor because uh, we'd be here way longer than you guys want. Maybe Well, not not maybe want, but maybe then your roast will endure in the oven uh, if we tried to attack all of those verses. So we're just going to look at verses 10 through 13 this morning and prepping for the battle. So Paul wants us to understand that God has given us what we need to endure the battle. And what is it that he's given us? Well, not mentioned in this passage, but mentioned other places, God has given us the Holy Spirit who lives within us. The Holy Spirit is our aid. He's our comforter. He's the one who never leaves us. He is the source of our strength, and we understand that as we submit to the Holy Spirit, He is going to help us in victory. But the other thing that God has given to us is what we call the armor of Christ. The armor of, the, of God that we put on, and we must put it on. It, it, it doesn't, it's not just, okay, I got saved, so I got the armor. Paul is a master at using illustrations. And and he used that word armor because as a soldier, 
You don't live life every day of your life, every minute of your life, every second of your life wearing the armor, right? What do you have to do to have the benefits of the armor? You have to put it on. So Paul says, put on the armor of, G- of, the, of God. Put it on. That's the first thing we have to do. We have to put on the armor of God. Now, um, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we read these, pass- these verses of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Read along with me if we can. Looks like we're having some issues with our tech this morning. Um, let's take advantage of the fact that it's on the screen at the moment. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Our gracious Heavenly Father, help us as we look at your word this morning to see what is necessary to prepare for the battles that we may already be in, that we may continue to face as we walk worthy of the calling that which you have called us to. Bless our time in your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So in verses 10 through 12, we see the fact that Paul says, put on the armor. You have to... Physically, you have to, mentally, you have to put on the armor of God. So we're going to be putting on the armor of God and see what that actually means. So Paul lays out the challenge to walk worthy, right? We understand that that is not an easy challenge. That's a difficult thing to walk worthy of the calling. The task that is before us is hard, to think, to think that it's not and to try to do it in our own, in our own strength and our own abilities, we will fail. People that, that want you to think that you can, you can live this Christian life all on your own, it's not true. You can't. First of all, as I said, we need the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we need the body of Christ, brothers and sisters who will help us in that walk. Brothers and sisters who, listen to this now, will hold us accountable for the walk that we walk. We have a, when we, when we join a church, when we become members of the body of Christ, it's not just about, hey, I can vote at the business meetings now. To be honest with you, we don't care about that. Why do you always ask us to come for a quorum? Well, because there are certain things we have to do to maintain our tax-exempt status, and all that kind of stuff. Whether you come to a business meeting and have the opportunity to vote, that's really of no eternal value. But when you become a member of a local body of believers like Calvary Baptist Church of Preble, we actually have a covenant, you know that? We have a church covenant. We should have read it at the business meeting. We forgot. But that church covenant binds us together as a body of believers. 
And it gives us the right as one another to challenge one another, to seek help from one another, to encourage one another, to do what? To walk the worthy walk. You might be wondering, is membership really that important? Yes, it is. It is. It was practiced by the early New Testament church. They were baptized, and what's the next phrase? Added to the church. There was a role. They kept, <laughs> they kept a role. They knew who was on the role. The first day, there was 5,000 added to that role. Another time, there were 3,000 added to that. And, and the key, you're baptized. So if you're here this morning... I'm going to hit you again with this. If you're not baptized, you are not walking in obedience to God. Plain and simple, it starts with that. If you're not baptized, you need to be baptized. And then in the baptism, we've gone through this many times, it's, it's a baptism of immersion. It's believer's baptism. You give your testimony of your salvation story, experience, whatever you want to call it. You then get dunked under the water. Cheryl can tell you why we dunk them under the water. So can many others, all of you who have been baptized, can tell you why. Because it's a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no other form of baptism that makes that picture a reality except immersion. So you're baptized and you're added to the church. And you live in community with one another. That's the benefit of being part of a local church. When we face these struggles, and by the way, none of that was in my notes, so, you know. Um, as, as we face the struggles that we face, isn't it a blessing to face them together? Know that you're not in it on your own. Know that you're not all by yourself facing this battle. Paul introduces this Christian armor with the word finally. That's not the end of the message, by the way, okay? Just because I said that word. I know sometimes when you hear that word, boom, done. Open it back up because we're not done. We're just getting started, okay? He introduces the word, uh, this idea about the armor with the word finally. And, and there's an interest, it's an interesting word that means hereafter or henceforth. After giving instruction about the worthy walk of the child of God in all respects of the life that we live, he says, this is what you need to do. This is what, as in response to the understanding of how you walk as a wife, as a husband, as a child, as an employee, this is how you walk now Take the armor that is given to you. Can I tell you why he does it? He says, finally. Because if you're going to live as a godly husband, as a godly wife, as a godly child, you need the armor. If you have no intention of walking as a godly person, you probably don't need the armor. But Paul is expecting that we take up the challenge and that we need this protection that comes from God. So he says, finally, Put on the armor of God. This is what you need to know about the armor of God. Let me tell you how you can walk worthy using this armor. So our goal this morning, I'm going to say, is only to introduce the armor to you. Okay? We'll look at the different parts of the armor next week. Um, 
But here we go. We're going to talk about, first of all, the purpose for the armor. We see it in verse 10. What is the purpose of the armor? Well, uh, the purpose is, as I mentioned, like a soldier who, when he's getting ready to go into battle, he takes the armor and he puts it on. Uh, He gets all the cool toys, the soldier does, okay? Um, Micah did a lot teaching us how to shoot properly and all that kind of stuff. And, and when we would go to the shooting range, he would, he would basically put on his, uh, some of the stuff that he had as a soldier. Okay? So um, he would take his, his gun with him, and when we got to the range, he would strap it on outside like he would if he were going to go into battle. Okay? Because we were at the range and we were using it. It wasn't breaking concealed carry protocol. He just, it was, that's what we were doing. We were at the range for a purpose. So he had that. He also would wear his, pla- his armor plate, okay? Why do you do that? Because it's part of his training, okay? He sometimes goes hiking with the, what is it, 30 pounds of weight or more that he straps on himself and walks around with it just for conditioning purposes, okay? The, the soldiers, they get all the cool toys, It's like our police officers sometimes get all the cool toys that they need to do what? To fight the battle. You don't sleep with it on. You don't shower with it on. You don't go out for lunch with it on. You put it on when you're in the battle. So the purpose of the armor is to protect us in the battle. They put it on to protect themselves as they protect our country. The armor that we get, as amazing and cool as their toys are, the armor that we get is so much better because the armor that we get protects us in our walk as we bring glory to our amazing God In preparation to put on the armor, Paul says, number one, you need to be strong in the Lord. He wants us to understand that the source of our power is not in us, but it's in the Lord himself. When you and I walk worthy in our own strength, or try to walk worthy in our own strength, you know what happens? We fall short. We fail. We're incapable of doing it. But when we get to the book of John, in John chapter 15, listen to this. John says, or Jesus says, John records it, I am the vine and you are the branches. Okay, I am the vine, my father is the husbandman or the vine, bran- vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Listen to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. That's why we need the armor of God. That's why we need to be strong in the Lord. Because we can't be strong in ourselves. Our strength is feeble. Our ability to fight is, is, is useless. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
You see, because the source of our power is the Lord and not ourselves, we have the benefit of His might at our disposal. His might, not my might. Can I tell you something? My might seems to get less and less the older I get. I never was a big, powerful-looking person, but I, I think I could do quite a bit for my size. I can't do nearly the things I used to. I mean, when we built our building in South Africa, 80-pound bags of cement, that's what we had. I would carry at least one of them, if not two of them, to, to wherever it needed to go. We were unloading a truck from PPC, and we were just taking these bags, boom. And it was not, it was a hard day's work, don't get me wrong. But it was something that I could do. I would not want to, I don't even like carrying 50-pound bags that we get here. We don't have the strength that we need to face the battles of the day. We need to do it in the power of his might. Listen to what William Hendrickson says about this idea of the power and strength and the might of God. He says, by his strength, God not only created the heavens and the earth. Wow. I mean, that's pretty impressive. You look around, you see the heavens and the earth. He not only created the heavens and the earth, caused the mountains to tremble, the rocks to melt, the Jordan to be driven back, the cedars of Lebanon to be broken in pieces, and the forests to be stripped bare, but specifically, as already emphasized in the Ephesian context, by his strength, he caused, A, the Savior to rise from the dead. Woo! He's not in the ground anymore. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. He also did something else. His chosen ones, he caused his chosen ones to be made alive from their death in trespasses and sins. Remember that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 4 says, he quickened us. You know what that word means, right? He made us alive. We're not dead anymore. We're alive. He made you and I, who know Christ as our Savior, alive. It is therefore, he goes on to say, as if Paul were saying, when I urge you to find your source of power in the Lord and in the strength of his might, I am not making an unreasonable request, for you yourselves know that his omnipotence has been revealed by these two marvelous deeds. When we talk about the attributes of God, Oftentimes we talk about them as almost an abstract truth. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, God is all-knowing. Yes, God is everywhere present. He's got all of these amazing attributes. But you know what? He's using those attributes for you and I, for his children, to build his church, to help us walk worthy of the calling that we have been called. Henderson goes on, hence we are not dealing with ab I didn't, abstractions, but with the power of God demonstrated in human history. You are aware, therefore, of the fact that when you ask him to strengthen you, he will certainly hear you, for he is able to do infinitely more than we ask or even imagine. That's who our God is. And that's the power of his might at work in us. 
When we are clothed in the armor of our great God, we are reminded that our source of strength is in the Lord and not in ourselves. The purpose of the armor is to remind us where our strength is and how we fight the battle. Let's move on and see uh, how we practice with the armor. And when I talk about practice, I don't mean making attempts to get it right. I mean like a doctor practices medicine and a lawyer practices law. That's what they do. They use it every day, all the time. I, I, it's, it's not the kind of practice that makes perfect. It's the kind of practice that benefits others. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. He emphasizes the whole armor of God. He wants us to realize that one or two pieces of the armor is not sufficient to do the battle. We need every piece put on together at work for our protection. We can't pick and choose the armor that we want to put on. You can't, oh, that armor is a little too heavy for me to carry today. I'm a little tired. and I don't quite feel like carrying that much armor. Ah, you know, I don't really need the helmet today because, no, Paul says, the whole armor of God. Put it all on. Don't pick and choose. We see here in our text that it's the perfect armor. The armor that God has given us perfect for whatever battle he knows we will face. But you might be wondering, why do I really need this armor anyway? I'm born again. I know Christ as my Savior. God has promised I will never lose my salvation. Is the armor that Paul's talking about really necessary for me? Yes, it is. Absolutely necessary. The victory has been secured. Don't doubt it. Okay? But you know what? Satan doesn't fight like somebody who's been defeated. Satan fights like he's still got a dog in the fight, like he's still got something going. He doesn't want to give up. And you know why? Because he knows the more people he can take captive, the, the, the less alone he thinks he might feel for all of eternity. He wants heaven packed. or I mean, he wants hell packed. He wants heaven with only a few people in it. He doesn't want to be alone in hell. He wants plenty of people suffering with him. He wants to take as many casualties, unbelievers, with him to the lake of the eternal lake of fire. And not only does he want people to join him in hell, but he also wants to take Christians as prisoners of war. He wants to injure them. He wants them out of the battle. You know that the tactic of the enemy is not to just hurt one person in battle or kill one person in battle. His goal is to severely injure somebody so it takes two or three other people to care for that injured person. So you're not only taking one person out of the fight, you're taking four or five out of the fight. That's his goal. That's why we need the armor. That's why we can't take chances. We need to put on the whole armor of God. Believer's Bible Commentary makes this point. It says, the hosts of Satan are committed to hinder and obstruct the work of Christ and to knock the individual soldier out of combat. 
The more effective a believer is for the Lord, the more he will experience the savage attacks of the enemy. The devil does not waste his ammunition on nominal Christians. If you're not living for the Lord, he doesn't care. He's not going to bother going after you. Let's get back to our text and find the reason Paul gives for needing this heavenly armor. First of all, we see that the heavenly armor exposes the devil. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the phrase that he uses. And you know what? This word stand, it's a military term. It's used for holding on to a position. Paul does not necessarily instruct us to go on the offensive against Satan. Not what he wants us to do. That's not what God wants us to do. We don't have to go out looking to start a fight with Satan. They're going to come. Okay? So he says, when they come, make sure you have the battle. He wants us to know that we have all the armor we need to stand and do battle and to not lose ground in our spiritual walk with the Lord. Stand. He wouldn't tell us to stand if we didn't have the equipment that we needed to stand. What are we standing against? We're standing against the wiles of the devil. This word wiles, it's quite a word. It refers to the cunning, deceitful ways. It refers to craftiness and trickery, deception, all those kinds of things. When I took my road test for the bus, our trainers kept telling us, just beware. Just be on guard. They try to trick you when you take your test. One of the examples is um, when we do the test, you have to do a pre-trip inspection. Okay, so you go all the way around the bus and you check it all out. Then you have to come in and you do an inside the bus inspection and you do that. And then you have to tell them about all the things in front of you, like the lights and the strobe light and the, and the flashing lights when you pick up passengers and the speed speedometer and the miles and the volt readers and, and all that kind of stuff. And then they told us, the next thing the examiner will often say to you is, you see those cones up there? Drive the bus up there and we're going to parallel, we're going to do the skills part of the test. And if you move that bus, you fail. Why? Because you didn't do a brake test. They want to try to get you to move the bus before you test the brakes. That's a while. That's a deceptive practice. I think because there's such a great need for bus drivers, they don't do that. They didn't do that to us. But anyway, it's the wild, it's the tricky things, it's the, the, the deceptive things that they want us to fall prey to. Listen, um, wiles. What are the wiles? Well, how many of you have ever watched or read the story uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Snow White is fast asleep, she ate some of the apple. She's fallen asleep in the seven dwarfs' cottage. They all come home from work. Whistle while you work. They all come home from work, and here's beautiful Snow White lying there asleep. And they can't wake her up. And they start asking, what, who, what is that? Who, who is that? And they're full of questions. Here's the conversation. 
Snow White sleeps with a different <coughs> with the different ones commenting on her beautiful appearance when Grumpy pipes up. She's a female. All females is poison. They full of wicked wiles. Bashful's like, what are you talking about? What are, what are wicked wiles? Grumpy barks back, I don't know, but I'm a get em. <laughs> Although Grumpy lacks a lot of information on the female individual. He's right about being against wicked wiles. There's no doubt that Satan is full of nothing but wicked wiles, and we need to take up the armor of God so we can stand against the wicked wiles of Satan and his attacks that will come to us again and again. Though the armor of God exposes Satan for who he is, we've seen from the beginning that Satan is deceptive. It's one of his characteristics. He hasn't changed. We get all the way to the end of the the Bible, the book of Revelation, and there's a couple of verses that describe Satan. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Jumping over to chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, John writes this, He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Hallelujah! I don't want to be an angel. I never will be an angel. Never have been an angel either. Um, But here you go. If there's ever a time to be an angel, I would love to be the angel who binds Satan, throws him in the pit, and locks him up. That would be a great thing. That's reserved for an angel. He goes on to say, who he bound him for a thousand years and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years was finished. But after those things, he must be released for a little while. Satan is still a deceiver. He still is full of trickery and wicked wiles. He wants to use those to knock you off your course. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, and then verses 22 and 23, here's one of his wicked wiles when he came to Adam and Eve. What did he do there? Well, he mixed error with just enough truth to make it sound believable. That's what Satan is a master at. And all of those who are doing Satan's bidding are masters at it as well. I don't get it anymore. They don't knock on my door anymore. But the Jehovah's Witnesses are just like that. They're masters at mixing just a little bit of truth with a whole bunch of error. They come knock on your door. Hey, um, they don't tell you who they are. They don't tell you what group they're associated with anymore. Would you like some literature? We're giving out free literature today. 
And if you take that literature and you read it, as you, unless you're very discerning about it, you say, hey, that's pretty good. I like what that says. You know, it's, it's like I said earlier today, that Satan wants to drag us away from what we hold true and dear, but he does it slowly. He's very sly about it. It's the wicked wiles that he is using. Matthew chapter 4, verse 6, you remember that? Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And what did Satan do? Satan used scripture. He quoted it to Jesus. If you cast your foot down from the pinnacle, God will send his angels to bear you up before your foot touches the ground. Yeah, that's what scripture says. But you know what he's doing? He's quoting it out of context. He was twisting it. He was misrepresenting it. He was using it for his own good and his own purpose. That's part of the wicked wiles. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, that Satan masquerades as an apostle or as an angel of light. That's what he does. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he makes himself out to be God. He wants people to think he's God and doing good things. Luke chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he promises people that good can come from doing wrong. It's the way he works. Don't be tricked. The wicked wiles of the devil. Who are we dealing with here? Make no mistake about who our adversary is. We have already mentioned that Peter calls him a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Hendrickson makes a worthy comment, again worth noting. He says this, Moreover, the war must be waged strenuously, for the foe is none other than a whole diablos, the devil. That's who we are doing battle against. You and I, every day, have the potential of going out and facing the, the wicked one and doing battle against him. It's so very important that we are on guard. And, and we're going to actually stop there. Okay? We've, we've had communion, we've had some other things this morning. And I don't want to just rush quickly through these things that are, are so very important as we prepare to dress ourselves in the battle and go and do battle. We're just getting prepared right now. Okay, we, haven't even, we haven't even scratched the surface of the armor. But I want to spend sufficient time understanding how you and I can prepare for battle as we face the difficulties. You know, can I tell you this? We live in wicked days. We live in deceitful days. And, and I don't think that we can be too prepared in our quest to walk the worthy walk and to have the tools at our disposal. So we're not going to just jump over this and go quickly. We're going to pick it up next week um, where we talk about the nature of the battle. It's so important to know what we're going into before we go into it. So let's close our time in prayer, and then we'll sing again. Um, uh, we'll sing praises to our great God. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. And, and Father, your word is so important that we don't want to uh, rush through understanding the truth of the battles that you, you have allowed us to face. Father, not only do you allow us to face those battles, but you have equipped us, you have given us everything that we need to face the battles. Thank you for the equipping. Thank you for the armor. And, and Lord, we look forward to finishing off this, 
talk about preparing for battle next Sunday. Lord, help us to use what we've learned already this morning to, to prepare for the battles that we face every day. Father, you're a great God. You have, you have everything in your control. You are, you are not surprised by the things that come our way, and you have given us all that we need to stand against the wiles of the devil. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.